So this is a very common theme in the scriptures, and that is healing. Now it's very easy to see how healing was accomplished Christ directly. Christ directly. Notice that they brought him the sick to Jesus, laid them at his feet, and he touched them. Well, what do we do now? Our Lord has ascended to the Father. Um, he's not here in bodily flesh and form as we recognize another human being. He is here in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And if you touch that Eucharist, you consume it. Yes, that's healing. That's healing in one sense, especially of the soul. But what about all the sick and infirmed, which we still have with us today? The sick, the invalid, the handicapped. How are they healed? How are they provided for? That's why Christ left us the church. And one of the most misunderstood, and again, I'm going to take you back to seminary with me because one of my favorite classes was we had a, a class on each of the sacraments. And one of my favorite ones was anointing of the sick because it's so misunderstood. So as usual, I dug up some of my notes and want to share with you some powerful things. Chris Sparks also helped uh, one of our theologians to put together kind of a summary that I think will help you to understand this sacrament better. Now, first of all, why do we have the sacrament of the sick to begin with? All right, go right to the Gospels. For non-Catholics that don't believe in sacraments, we go right to James 5.14. Is anyone among you sick? He should summon the presbyters. Guess what that means? The priests. The priest, listen to this. He should summon the priests of the church. That's pretty clear, isn't it? This is James 5.14. And they should pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. Wow. Right there, our sacrament is scriptural. Now, the anointing of the sick is administered, yes, to bring spiritual, but also physical. Some people think only physical healing. It brings both. And it brings not only spiritual healing and forgiveness, but physical strength during illness, especially as you near death. Now, the catechism says, however, this is Catechism 1514. The anointing of the sick is not a sacrament for those only who are at the point of death. Hence, as soon as any one of the faithful begins to be in danger of death from sickness or even old age, it is fitting a fitting time for him to receive this sacrament. So it's not just somebody who's dying, but somebody who could be in danger of death. That's why if you're ready to go into surgery and you go under anesthesia, you could be healthy, but you're going completely under anesthesia. You should be anointed because there's a chance, I don't mean to scare anybody, but there's always a chance when you go under anesthesia, you don't wake up. Now again, please don't get scared, but it's just a reality. And so the anointing of the sick conveys many graces 
and gifts of strengthening in the Holy Spirit against not just physical ailments. You think Jesus just cured the lame? No, I'm sure that he cured probably people with anxiety, discouragement, depression, temptation. This is what our Lord does. So while the anointing of the sick brings healing of the soul like the Eucharist, this is very true, it also gives us a trust in the ability of God to heal the body. Again, through the scriptures, call the priests of the church, have them anoint you with oil. That's the sacrament. And so the ability of God to heal the body as well as the soul. The soul is guaranteed. The body is if he wills it but we have the guarantee that he will heal the soul. That's the most important thing because that is the promise of the grace of the sacraments. They're not just symbols. So now, who may receive the anointing of the sick? Okay, the fact is that anyone who is baptized and of the age of reason where they can go to confession, usually around seven years old, is able to receive anointing of the sick. Okay, but the church does restrict the reception of the sacrament to those who on account of any age or in grave danger or infirmity are in some grave danger. Now, as we mentioned, they do not have to be physically dying, but they have to have a condition that is serious. You just don't get anointing like taking cough syrup. Okay, I have had that, God bless you. I think the intention is good. But when I first became a priest, I had a couple beautiful people here at the shrine. They were coming to me two times a week and wanting anointing. It's not to be used like that. Okay, the fact is that the effective anointing of the sick is the removal not only of sin in the spiritual sense, but also the effects of sin, punishment, right? This, this is very powerful. It kind of completes the sacrament of confession because in confession, you've heard me say this, you're forgiven of the sin, but the punishment may remain after your confession, the temporal punishment. Eternal punishment, aka hell, that's gone. But the temporal punishment may remain. And there's only a few ways to get rid of that. We always talk about Divine Mercy Sunday is the best way. True. But do you know anointing also does it too? Anointing wipes away, it's like a baptism, not just the sin, but the punishment as well. That's what baptism does and anointing. So you know what, what God does is amazing. He gives it to you in the beginning of your life in baptism, and he gives it to you at the end of your life in anointing. Oh, wow. This is how God takes care of us today. Just like he took care of the people in person in the reading, he takes care of us through his church today. Let us not spurn that grace. So it gives healing, comfort, courage, and even forgiveness of sins, even if the person isn't able to confess, even if the person is sick or maybe even unconscious, we trust that that anointing will be conditionally effective that they would receive that grace. And if you're not sure, have them anointed because they would have to spurn that grace not to get it. Otherwise, if there is even if they're not able to respond, well, I can't have you anoint Uncle John because he isn't awake to say he wants it. You make the assumption that he does and it's conditional that he will accept that grace. 
So very important. So the sacrament, how, how, who gets it and when? All right, it, it can be repeated. All right, if you're sick, it can be repeated if you recover. All right, and then you become ill again. Or even if you get sick and you don't get better, but you get worse, then anointing can be repeated. And this is very important because if you stay the same, it doesn't. It doesn't be repeated. All right. Um, if you have been anointed or, and okay, here's, here's one that people don't understand always. If you have been anointed and you then are no longer ill, you should not be anointed again. If, however, you were anointed and then there were ongoing sufferings and issues and illnesses and they just don't go away, you can be anointed periodically. Not every week, unless you're gravely getting worse and worse. All right, canon, canon lawyer will tell you this in canon law, 1004. It says, one must begin to be in danger of death, but not necessarily at the point of death. That's really interesting. So that's why I could anoint my mom, right? Because somebody may not be, literally, they're going to die today, but they're in danger of at any time. All right, Canon 1007 says, the anointing of the sick is not to be conferred upon those who persevere obstinately and manifest grave sin unless they show repentance. All right, so back to that person I gave the example, if they're unconscious and they can't answer for themselves, if you know for a fact that that person lived in obstinate, grave sin, rejecting God, refusing to repent, the sacrament's not going to be effective. We have to have a sliver, even a sliver, even the tiniest little tiny bit. It's enough. But there's got to be something. So this is why we've always said, you know what? You can kind of, I hate to use this word, trick them, not trick them. That's a terrible word. Encourage them to even grab a crucifix. So if you're at the bedside of your dying loved one and they have lived in a state of sin and they have rejected God and you say, well, Father said I can't get them anointed because you've rejected God, just hand them a crucifix. Even if they so much as look at it, even if they so much as touch it, that's enough. That's enough. That's the sliver that God is waiting for. Powerful stuff. In any case, the anointing this prepares the sick person for the journey home. Again, this is how God heals us. Now, people think it's called last rites. I'm going to go take you back to seminary here. This is different. Don't use the word last rites necessarily because that scares people. It's not just for those dying, so we don't necessarily always say it's last rites. Last rites include more than just anointing. When we say last rites, that includes confession, confirmation, if it's needed, and anointing, and viaticum. What's viaticum? Final receiving of Holy Communion. Last rites includes all those. That means the person is dying. They're going to die. But anointing, which is part of that process, it's one of those, along with confession, confirmation if needed, anointing, and viaticum, anointing can be done separately by itself in those other cases that I just explained. If somebody is not necessarily at the point of death, 
but is gravely ill. The most important part of the last rites is actually receiving of Holy Communion. It's not anointing, believe it or not. Last rites, the most important thing is if you have somebody dying at the hospital, you should be striving if they are literally going to die for last rites. Confession, communion, anointing. All together, those are last rites. That is somebody who's going to die. But if you're in there because you're sick, but you hope to get better with COVID, you would just do an anointing. Or, you know, confession would be helpful too, and communion could help, but it wouldn't be viaticum. It wouldn't be the last communion, food for the journey. It, it would be more of a, just a sustenance. So sacrament of anointing of the sick, we then usually call not last rites, but extreme unction. That's actually the term. All right, so a quick finish here. Anointing of the sick. What about if somebody's died? Now we've all unfortunately going to have this situation. Um, <clears throat> in Michigan, one time I pulled up at a scene of an accident about two o'clock in the morning. I was getting home very late and there was an accident and I saw the bodies laying on the road. I was the first car, I was in the middle of a rural area. The accident had probably happened a while ago, but there's no trap, nobody had come by. The ambulance was already there. And I saw the bodies laying on the road and they were covered, with, a couple of them were covered with tarps, others were being administered to, so I knew there were some dead. And so I parked and I quick rushed up saying I'm a, I'm a priest. And my hope was to anoint any of those who had died. Well. The, 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 the first responders got all mad at me, yelled at me, told me to get away. Back, back 30, 40 years ago, that never would have happened. They would have invited a priest in. But I remember telling the story to somebody afterwards, and they said, Father, well, what good does it do if they're already dead? Okay, here's the point. If a priest, if, if a person has just died, remember the definition of death is not when your vital signs stop when your heartbeat stops or you stop breathing. That's actually not the church definition of death. The church definition of death is when the soul leaves the body. And we don't know when that is. It could be minutes, even an hour after the body dies in the signs of, of, of heartbeat or breathing. That means the soul may still be in the body. In that case, the priest can anoint. So that's why I raced to that accident scene to, to say I wanted to do an anointing. And so when they wouldn't even let me near, screamed at me and made me drive away, I did the best I could by praying a conditional anointing, even though I couldn't get there physically. And so basically, if the priest is doubtful that a person is dead, he can do this anointing conditionally, like I did. The church teaches at the point of death, the soul leaves the body. As I just said, it's not when the breathing stops or the heart stops. So we don't know exactly when that occurs. So if the body is still warm and there's no evidence of rigor mortis, right, or the odor of decay, and the priest has reasonable doubt, not sure exactly if the soul has left the body, he can do a conditional anointing. And the prayer that I prayed and the prayer that the priest should pray, and you might have to remind your own priest of this, if somebody dies and the priest is late getting there, you might want to remain the priest. The priest prays, if you are still alive, we pray through this holy anointing. And he does it. Now, when a priest has been called to attend 
a person who has already been dead. Now, this we know, the body's cold. He should pray for the dead person, asking God to forgive his sins and to receive him. But the priest would not administer anointing because now we know the person is dead. All right, lastly, who can anoint? All right, Jesus gave this power to the priest. This is what it says in James, call the priest. So even a deacon can't anoint a priest, not a lay person. So our Lord entrusted this healing ministry to his apostles. Notice here, after making the crossing, Jesus and his apostles came to the land of Gennesaret and tied up there. So basically, he's given this to his apostles. The priest is in that line. And so our Lord entrusted this healing ministry to his lines of, line of priests, and he instructed them to go out. They expelled many demons, anointed the sick with oil, and worked many cures. Mark 6, 12, 13. Anointed the sick with oil. You don't think the Catholic sacraments mean something? There it is in the gospel. And this is powerful. That's Matthew or Mark 6, verse 12. What about this? Mark 16, 18. At the ascension, Jesus echoed this instruction to the apostles and declared that the sick upon whom they lay their hands will recover. What does a priest do in anointing? He lays his hands. The administration of the sacrament of the anointing of the sick is also restricted to the priest because it's tied to forgiveness of sins. It's a way to forgive sins, especially if the person can't confess. How's a sick person is in a coma going to go into the confessional? Well, Father, how are they forgiven? Anointing. And so given this, the lay person who acts as um, a healing minister maybe at your church can't give the sacrament of anointing. Only the priest can. And anointings, this, you know, we hear about the, the healing masses. Be careful. Don't be under the impression when you go to a healing mass and they have everybody come up in a line and the priest just puts the oil on your forehead and says a prayer that that's the sacrament of anointing. The word anointing means blessing. So when you come to a healing mass, most likely you're getting a blessing. You're not getting the sacrament of anointing. The sacrament of anointing has to have the words through this holy anointing, may the Lord in his love and mercy help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord who frees you from sin save you and raise you up as he's anointing your hands and your forehead. And so that doesn't happen at most healing masses, but that's okay. It's still a good blessing. And then I keep saying lastly, but can non-Catholics receive the anointing of the sick? This is a common question I get. Can non-Catholics get this? All right. Can a non-Catholic get the sacrament of anointing? If they asked, they would be baptized, confirmed, and given the Eucharist, and anointed. Notice this is last rites. All at one time, if they are open to baptism. But they must be open to confessing Christ and a belief in the faith. Baptism is the gateway to all the sacraments. So we can't anoint someone if they haven't been baptized. So if a person is dying, but they say, you know what? 
I want this grace. I really do. I haven't been Catholic. You can get them a Catholic priest to baptize them, right? To confirm them, to give them Holy Communion and anoint them all at once if they show an interest and they ask for it. So remember, all the sacraments, they are based in order to Holy Communion. Holy Communion, the Holy Eucharist, is the end. That is the source and summit. This is why we need the church. And this is especially why we need the priests. Pray for the priests. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.